Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Delta Flyers. I'm Garrett Wong, one of your hosts, and the other host is right next to me. Well, not really next to me. He's next to me in spirit. In spirit, in reality, I'm always next city. to you in kind of a creepy way, <laughs> Garrett. I'm sort of always creeping next to you. Robbie, that do you are you saying if you die before I die <laughs> that your spirit will follow me and just you'll be my companion always, for life? Always. Oh. Yeah. Kind of like in Threshold, the lizards that I didn't are even always, get to say your name. Always with us. Robert Duncan McNeil. Me... Ladies there and gentlemen, Robert Duncan McNeil, the man with three names. <sighs> I'm the, am I the only one with three names in our cast? I think so. Does anyone call you Duncan? Anybody? No. I did go by Duncan. Um, really when i first who said join, that i had to join the union uh to do a soap opera back in the 80s i joined aftra at the time the, the soap yeah. opera union yeah. and there was already yeah. a robert mcneil and so they were like well you could use your middle name or you know mm -hmm. i was like well maybe okay. i'll go by duncan mcneil sure i'll try that and i joined and for about three months all the credits on all my children in the soap opera say Duncan McNeil. His parents should not have named him that, basically. No. You should have been the only Robert McNeil. I think right? so. <laughs> I think so. Hey, you have a story about one of our Patreon patrons, I Samantha. do. Here in our Samantha. little, uh, our little um, uh, status report, our, our intro, I wanted to give a shout out. Uh, one of our Patreon members, Samantha, um, she's been sharing photos of her young son, Charlie, every week on our Facebook page, on the Delta Flyers Facebook page. And uh, she's been saying how Charlie loves to watch the Delta Flyers podcast, watch the video. And he just sits there and he stares and watches us. And she thinks that he really feels like he knows you and me now. So first of all, I mm -hmm. wanna tell uh, Samantha, please tell Charlie to start to call us Uncle Garrett and Uncle Robbie. I think that that would be uh, only appropriate at this point. Uh, Uncle Robbie and Uncle Garrett. And, uh, you know, Charlie was born during this, uh, the COVID times. He doesn't get a lot of interaction with the outside world. And, right. and, uh, and so we just want to give a shout out to Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Hi, buddy. We're going to do another episode. You are now famous with everyone who listens to the Delta Flyers. Yes. Do you remember that Charlie. video? Charlie bit me. Charlie. Do you remember that YouTube video that was like viral? What is that from? There was a, YouTube, there was a YouTube video of a little boy and his like baby brother named Charlie. And the little baby bit his finger and he was like, Charlie, Charlie bit me. Charlie. It was the cutest thing. So, do you know why I'm laughing so hard? Why? Because you never do voices, and I love when you do a voice. <laughs> and you just did a voice, and you do this little little. It was a little British kid, right? It's yeah, a little it English little kid. Okay. Yes. But our little Charlie, you know, yes, Uncle Garrett and Uncle Robbie's Charlie. Yes. He's a dedicated Delta Flyers watcher. He doesn't bite anybody. He doesn't. No, he's he not doesn't. a biter. He he just bites into each episode of Voyager. That's exactly. it. He, he takes a big bite out big of bite Star of Voyager. Trek Voyager. All right. <laughs> we got a big bite this week. This is uh, Sacred Ground. Oh, my Very gosh. special episode to me. I'm so excited. I, it was my first directing uh, opportunity on Star Trek. Yeah. First time I, yeah. I ever directed a TV show. Yeah. <clears throat> so this was a... Uh, a big deal. I just want to go watch it and we'll come back and we'll talk about all, all of that. There'll be lots to share, I'm sure. You ready to watch it? 
I am ready. I'm very excited. Okay. <laughs> we'll be right. Okay. We'll be right back. <laughs> there we go. All right, guys, we are back. Robbie and I are back from watching his very first directorial debut. Yeah. Woohoo! Sacred Ground. Here's my haiku for Sacred Ground. Janeway needs some faith. Her science is meaningless. So Kess will be saved. <laughs> there you go. There's the there haiku. Go. I like it. Um, yes, we have very similar, similar tastes in our yes. poetry. I, I'm going to be using many of the words that you used, even though mm. yours is much shorter. So here we go. Here's my limerick. Sure leave ends with Kess knocked out. Janeway must save her. There is no doubt. A ritual long and arduous. Results are simply meaningless. In the end, only blind faith holds any clout. Nice. Blind faith. I like it. Blind faith. Yes, that's it. Good. Story, story by Geo Cameron, teleplay yes. by Lisa Klink, directed by none other than RDM himself mm -hmm. and a nervous RDM, as we talked about earlier. Yes. Very um, nervous to start this yes. episode. I have my binder from Sacred Ground. There's a lot of notes in here, a lot of... Uh, plans and little sketches and storyboards and you know uh in some ways i over planned a lot of things and in other ways i didn't plan on some things but um this binder is really interesting and i'm going to use it during this recap because i think there's some interesting stuff as we go through that i'll just great pop in some notes i wrote but um i do have a question you said that there are some things that you overly prepared for what, what would that be just well out of the i think that you know um just like this episode's theme in many ways about control and science and planning and predictability, like, mm -hmm. you know, there's a certain level of planning and predictability when you're directing television that you can kind of make your plan and think, you know, how it's going to go. But right. when you actually get out there, it doesn't turn out the actors don't look exactly, you know, they may not stand exactly where you plan or what you thought. All of a sudden you may learn something new when you're, actually standing there in the set and, the, and it's lit and the actors are there. So sometimes I think my plans were very specific, like the actor will look this way and it, it will, it will say this word. And, you know, it was very, <laughs> I was like, no, just see what happens. And, and then I think in, in other ways, like one thing that uh, I realized in watching it and thinking about this is I remember when it got to the stunts, because often as an actor, when you're doing stunts, you sort of rely on everyone else to figure out how they're gonna film it. Because obviously you can't do things that are dangerous in real life. You do a part of it maybe for one shot and then the stunt double does this part of it for the other shot. And, and even things as simple as Janeway picking Kess up and walking up steps, <laughs> carrying her, that's a yeah. stunt. It doesn't look yeah. like a stunt to the viewer. You just think, oh, mm -hmm. Janeway picked Kess up and walked her up. But uh, Kate Mulgrew, it's not safe for her to pick up another adult human being and try to carry mm -hmm. them up steps when you can't see where you're walking and things. So she can't do that. So right. uh, I think in some ways, as I looked at my plan, I was like, oh, I didn't calculate in 
all the variables of of stunts like that just yeah. walking up steps or carrying yeah. another adult human being or mm-hmm. or or how cast sort of falls back anyway there's a right. yeah it was interesting to look at and and remind myself that i hadn't directed stunts yet i had acted in them but i hadn't thought of it from the directorial point of view so i've definitely learned a lot since then there was another quality that i noticed in watching the episode of very um slow pace that things were paced very just very slowly and methodically and i think what probably that there was that's a result of me directing as an actor for the first time i wanted the actors to have the moments to feel things because that was (laughs) where i was coming from right i've learned since then that pace (laughs) and moving like say the words move keep things moving keep the energy up all that but as an actor it always feels good to feel the feelings and take your time and i think i was sort of encouraging that a lot of that with the actors and and so it's got you know if i were to do this again i probably would have paced some of those scenes up a lot more than i did and okay push the pace and things like that but okay it didn't bother i I didn't think it was I mean, when you just described that, you made it sound like molasses. And to me, it wasn't molasses. Um, I do, I do see your standpoint of coming from it as a, as an actor in that you did showcase the actors and you definitely let them, you know, um, you let them shine. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there were definitely shots that, uh, when you had on Janeway that reminded me of shots that, um, Rick Colby would do with Janeway, with Kate, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. and because he really wanted to showcase her, mainly because he was dating her at the time. So yeah. that was part of his 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 plan was to showcase her in in the best light and let her be an actress uh, first and foremost. And so you did the same thing here, but it really it definitely wasn't distracting to me in any way, shape, or form. And I know that if you had to do this again, that you would, you you know, you pump it up a little bit pacing wise. Yeah, I, get I that. think I would. I think I would. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's because you've been doing it for so long now, you know what needs to be done to make the show the best show it can be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it really, it's the show that that it's the story and it's the show that matters, not each individual actor, yeah. right? I mean, they're yeah. just components of the overall um, process. Yeah. Okay, so let's start off. Um, we start off with an invitation uh, from the Nakani for a few days shore leave to mm-hmm. learn about their culture. Um, so this involves a tour of the sanctuary. Uh, the sanctuary that honors their ancestral spirits. On this tour, we find um, our main players of Torres, Kim, Neelix, and Kess are the mm-hmm. four that are taking this tour. Of course, while we're taking the tour, guess who wanders off from the tour? Good old Kess and Neelix. And Neelix has wandered off before. Remember, they they wandered off yes. in Basics, yes. part one and two, didn't they? Or Kess. This is our classic cave set. So we had adapted this with some light fixtures and some... So we're in cave sets we were very familiar with um, and we had shot a lot in, um, but I did notice it was very dark in there. Yes. Like, like it was really dark. And I remember, you know, we filmed on film back then. So yeah. it's not like nowadays where you have uh, digital cameras that you can see on the monitor, the exposure levels and the light levels and things like that. So I was thinking, boy, it's really dark. Like sometimes it was hard to see faces, make things out. And that big open area with the biogenic field and the steps leading up to that shrine, um, that was all added to our cave set on one side. 
Right. So that that was the new part of the set. But otherwise, it was the regular cave set. And um, I liked the I liked how dark it was. Did you like it? Whenever it's lit up more, then it just to me, as, because I'm familiar with that stage, it's just me going, oh. It's the uh, supplemental stage, soundstage again. Yeah. We're on 16 again, and there's those damn rocks again. I mean, so they tend to look the same, and I can tell it's the same damn set. But because it was darker, I wasn't sure if we were on 16. I thought, hmm, maybe we were at Bronson. Maybe we went somewhere else. I don't know. Yeah. So I think it worked for this episode. I'm oh, good. Yeah. I, and I thought about Harry Groner as well. I was a big fan of Harry's. He was a big theater actor in New York when I was... Hmm had been younger and in New York and and I had seen him in a, a number of shows uh, on Broadway and was very familiar with Harry as a, as a, you know, a very talented theater actor. So I was just uh, thrilled with this episode, the cast we got starting with Harry Groner, yeah. uh, Becky Baker, who comes in shortly as the guide. Um, She's great. Love married her. to Dylan Baker, both of them phenomenal actors. Again, New York theater people that mm -hmm. I knew. Mm -hmm. I had known, so thrilled to get him. Um, yep. Our our spirit guides, the three people waiting in the uh, in the train car, or whatever you thought it was, um, the three people there. Parley Bear, who was a legendary Hollywood actor, having done so many movies, and I think he was in the Andy Griffith Show or something. I can't remember. Is he the grumpy guy or the the less grumpy? He's one? the grumpy guy. He's the grumpy. That's one, yeah. Parley Bear. He had mm. done a thousand things, been around forever. Um, Keen Curtis played the balding, you know, kind of quieter, not not the so good grumpy. cop. He was the good cop. He was good the good cop, cop. cop right? Mm -hmm. Keen Curtis, another phenomenal New York theater actor. I'd seen him on yeah. Lacage on Broadway. I'd seen him do Shakespeare in the Park. Keen yeah. Curtis, uh, just an amazing actor. Again, I was I was just so honored to be directing with such great actors. Estelle yeah. Harris, uh, again, like super familiar. I think she went on to to be on uh, one of the sitcoms that became very well known. Well, you luck you lucked out to have such talent, and they lucked such out to have, but they lucked out to have you because you knew of their career. You see, what I I'm knew saying? all of their careers right? very exactly. well. Exactly, and, because you're uh, an actor first and foremost. At that point, at that point, um, I was thrilled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now let's get let's get on with the story. Um, Kess and Neelix wander off. When Kess walks up to the entrance of that shrine and she gets shocked, my first reaction was, I said, "That is the stunt double walking up to the shrine, as well as the stunt double getting shocked." Am I right to have assumed yes. that it is yes. both? Okay, because I knew right off the bat. That wasn't Jennifer. That wasn't walk. Jennifer because well, also it's not her walk and it's not her body shape either. Yeah. Like that woman had, she had more hips than Jennifer does, right? Yeah. Jennifer was nineteen at the time, so you know, not not so much hip in the hip department, right? Yeah. And so I saw that I was like, wait a minute, and I thought, hmm, is that truly? And and this comes back to what you said about what we what most people outsiders don't realize is a stunt. Janeway picking up Kess is a stunt, but that but Kess walking up those stairs can also be a stunt in a way right because yeah. oh yeah it, it's precarious in a way and also maybe maybe because you were thinking well we're going to show her to get zapped from behind we might as well use her to walk up just to establish that is that yeah. kind of the thinking yeah. that you did in terms of uh why yeah you used the stunt I, I think we did that as one take you know yeah. with her walking mm -hmm. up and then Correct. taking the fall and rolling back and falling the back, other yeah. thing to note about that um that energy field up at yes. the top of the steps 
there was no set beyond it. I remember Marvin Rush when we got into there and he was mm -hmm. like, what are we going to do? We can't look at this big archway because there's nothing behind it. So <laughs> that's why the light, he was like, how can we look at this set when there's, if you nothing, look beyond it, yeah. there's nothing there. Nothing. You, just, you just see, I think they had put like a black curtain or something, but he goes, there's just nothing there. So that's why it's filled with the, the that bright, bright light yeah. and the smoke to sort yeah. of diffuse it because there was no right. set behind the archway. There was nothing right. there. So um, was that a big problem? Do you recall that being a big problem? Uh, well, I remember the you... solution. You know, we didn't have yeah. a solution initially. We were like, well, what are we going to do about that? And then yeah. the lighting and the smoke and all of that diffusion became the answer. Like when we look over there, we've got to have the stage full of smoke and big bright lights so that you just can't see beyond the arch yeah i'm curious to see if you remember what was the first scene that was shot for this episode you know i've got the shooting schedule right da, da, da. i'm so. i'm really curious because you know you talk about this issue with like looking beyond the gate and there's nothing there and i'm wondering was that the first scene typically we would start filming on the ship on our standing sets and give them time to build the sets that are I not, see. Are okay, not so normal. It, it would have been a bridge set, or it would have been sick in Sick Bay, or we it would have been sick in Chicote's Quarter. Okay, the very sick first bay. scene. I'm looking at the shooting schedule. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the shooting schedule, guys. There right, it is, right there. There it is, the shooting. And schedule. it says the very first scene that I ever directed as a professional director was in Sick Bay. Yes, uh, with just the doctor. And that's it. It must Just have been a phone the... call or something. Oh, yeah. Janeway's life sign. So it must have been. Okay. It says uh, scene 17 part and 18 part in, okay. with just the doctor. And then the second scene was with Neelix, Kess, and the doctor. It was scene 37. Oh. Uh, mm -hmm. Keep talking to her is how it's described. Right. Keep that scene that you filmed with the doctor, that's the doctor notifying Janeway while she's in the transporter room with myself and Tuvok. Mm. And the doctor comes on screen and says that he has, you know, put this subdermal implant in her, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so I think that's the scene that you shot first. Yeah, then, that was guess, it, right? Just the doctor, wow. Bob Picardo was the very first person. Wow. And, and let's just take a little skip-de-doo here. Um, yep. It wasn't until day Chakotay's office we were in on day three which that was an interesting set you know Chakotay mm -hmm. sitting at his desk we didn't yeah. go in there no very rarely and I, I I made light of that uh I I made a note of that in the prior episode I don't know which episode we just recorded but mm -hmm. that was the first time I recall seeing his set was a couple episodes ago so his, we, his office that is sorry we did on day three the end of day three we filmed the Rocky Shore Precipice where Janeway talks to, with the guide. The guide is sort of, uh, you know, interpreting for the, the mm -hmm. spirits. Yeah. Um, so we filmed kind of an, the end of the show before she had gone through any of her, um, you know, any of her, her vision quest. We filmed that scene on the, on the precipice. See, that's what, that's what makes it so difficult. Yeah. In terms of television slash film acting. 
Yeah. Because you've got to keep that. <laughs> she just, she's filming this stuff. It's like, wait a minute. You, you, you typically have to go through the journey and then you film, you know, the ending scene or the, yeah. the, uh, the climax. And it's like opposite. And it's difficult because you got to track that within your own head as an artist, as an actor, you have yeah. to realize, okay, where are we in this script, in this episode? Oh, we're at the end. Okay. Well, I've yeah. already had enlightenment. Did I have enlightenment? I don't know. You know, there's all yeah. these questions. So that's difficult. Awesome. Yeah. I also in my notes here, I, I noticed my little checklist I have throughout the script for different scenes. In this very first scene, I made a note, the land of Oz is what I wrote down that I was thinking oh. about this, these caves and, and Kess and Neelix wandering off, you know, when they go over mm -hmm. in Wizard of Oz, they go over and they pull the curtain back and they see the wizard back there. Yeah, yeah. A bit of that, that was a note to myself. So you uh, would make shorthand notes like that on your script to just sort of give you references to what you-, you What um, I was thinking. What you were thinking is, of, your yeah. idea for that scene, right? Yeah. What's the, the action of that scene, perfect. Um, I want to go to uh, after she gets shocked. Uh, basically, Torres yeah. and Kim, Torres and Kim run in um, to find Kess on the ground, yeah. and Neelix is already freaking out. Um, I ran in really weird. Did you notice that? I had a very <laughs> I weird. I was I, I was very disappointed, and I kept thinking there's only one reason for that. That ground was unstable. <laughs> that had to be one reason. The one why I was probably sort of like, like you know dirt or you know mold yes or something down loose there. dirt over solid plywood is yeah. kind of slippery you know what i'm saying it's not yeah. the it's not going to be the easiest stuff to run in and stop on and plus the shoes that we're wearing robbie they're like dress shoes like we didn't have like you know yeah. a grip on the bottom like an athletic shoe sole it was the sole of a dress shoe practically so i think that yeah that was what was going that on that might there. have been it a little slippery. yeah so uh now we're in the sick bay we're in sick bay and Janeway uh, and the doctor is there and Neelix as well. Kess is in a comatose like state and Neelix, uh, very concerned, he asked to help Janeway ask Neelix to find out scientific data on the energy field and sends him back down. To here, the is, here is my uh, little drawing for the blocking of this scene. And... Um, oh. Oh, yeah. Just where the actors might go. And here's some notes for those that are just listening to audio. Yeah, it's fascinating to uh, look back at some of my directing planning. Do you still uh, do that now? Do you draw I, that out like that? I do like that? sometimes and not always. You know, I, okay. I got to be honest. Like now that I know I'm good with a lot of these kind of fundamental things, but I loved this is something that I found. So I made this worksheet for myself that I created when I first started directing and I still yeah. have something like this, but it's evolved over time. And I haven't, this is the first one I ever made. I hadn't seen it until I just opened this binder up. So, and for those of you who are listening, it says, I'm going to read, uh, it says director's director's checklist. Then it says central theme. So for this scene, I put the theme of the scene is it must be science and facts behind a belief. So that's the, the argument we're making in this scene. It's, there's got to be science and there's got to be facts. It can't just be some religious thing. A question I put down was look everywhere until you find an answer. I call this the ER scene or the triage scene. Yeah. Um, 
uh, a lot of these things are obvious, but sometimes, you know, Kess has just arrived. This is a fact. She just arrived. So we need to remember, remind the actors that you've just gotten here. You're just yeah. beginning to assess this yeah. as opposed to, oh, we've been here for an hour and, you know, yeah. character yeah. objectives I have for the doctor to assess the medical condition. Janeway's objective is let's not waste any time I put mm -hmm. down. Uh, Neelix's objective is to be of some help, to be of some use. I put down one of one of the categories here is the point of view or the em the empathy position. I always feel like every scene has a character that is sort of experiencing that scene, and the audience is experiencing it through that character's point of view. So for this scene, I felt mm -hmm. like Janeway was the point of view. Mm -hmm. She's the one who's going to go on this vision quest, so she's mm -hmm. sort of experiencing what the doctor's saying and all. Um, I have a physical and internal chronology. Where are we coming from? Uh, I wrote down categories like conflict, cinema language, meaning what kind of visual style am I handheld? Am I, am I not handheld, but I want it to feel sort of energetic that way? Is there any other picturization I put as a category? Composition support. You did this for every scene. You did this for every scene. You made out this little list here. I would, Is that right? I would print out this thing and then I would fill it in. I just randomly open another page. Here's scene 17 yeah. and 18. Yeah. Central theme, find the facts firsthand. Okay. Uh, so you did it for every scene. Yeah. Not, Very detailed. Uh, it's not every scene. I, I, I will say I remember when uh, Roxanne Dawson directed and I looked mm. at her notebook. I felt yeah. like, wow, she was much more prepared than me. <laughs> like she, I thought I was prepared. She's got post-it notes and so much writing and so many words. Sometimes I would just write like, you know, simple things or simple graphics. I'm sorry. My <laughs> first thought process, Robbie, about about Roxanne's notebook is this is my comedic view to, of that is that she had stuff written down like, ask Kate what she had for breakfast. Depending on what type of food it was, it may make her look like she's retaining water. If that's the case, light Kate differently. You know, like this is the kind <laughs> of <laughs> attention to detail that Roxanne had. But she would have a, a joke, lot, of course. a lot of attention. To uh, this is like wow. how I would storyboard. I would often write, draw my own little storyboards, which are so mm -hmm. fundamental and basic. But, um, you know, stuff like like that. Um, yeah. And, and these are just basic uh, drawings by hand that Robbie's made on paper, like like a stick figure almost. Like you a know, stick of figure, how he exactly. Wants, yeah, of how, uh, is this a medium shot? Is this a, is this a master? I mean, he's yeah. showing exactly the flow, the storyboard of what's happening yeah. in the story. Yeah, yeah. and they're storyboard okay. artists that are much more detailed and better. You know, they draw oh, of course. things. That, of course. For me, it was more a process of, oh, well, if I go from a close-up to this shot, or if they're moving this way, could they... Could that blocking, that staging, bring me into a close bring you up? to the could next? I, yes, could I pan exactly. into this shot and things like mm -hmm. that? So, mm -hmm. um, uh, I noticed in my notes that I would make notes about shots, like tilt from the doctor down to the bio bed and focus on the blinky. And I had forgotten. <laughs> I used to call those things blinkies. Blinkies. Like, <laughs> like if there was like just medical or or like you know uh, sciency stuff that was just like a prop that always had lights on them. I just go go to the blinkies like, and I have that note in my script all over the place. Like, you know, tight shot of the blinkies, pan off the blinkies over to here. <laughs> so, isn't a blinky like a pacifier or isn't that? A, I don't know. I called okay. it anything that had little I lights it. on it. That was just like a, a prop. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's cute. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now we are, let's see, Janeway gives Neelix his homework assignment to go down on the planet to find out exactly what's going on. And she's, you know, she's stressing or she's really emphasizing mm -hmm. she needs scientific data. So here we are. We're having the first glimpses of this, the theme of science versus religion. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Captain Janeway then pleads with the Nakani magistrate. Um, they're currently in her ready room where she pleads yeah. with the magistrate to meet with the monks of the Nakisti council. Um, these are the Nakisti are the ones that have devoted their lives to the, the religion, the religious aspect of this culture of this society. Um, and so right, right off the bat, we see that there's the separation, not only between, um, science and religion, but there's a separation between state and religion. The, the, the Nakani magistrate's like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm just a politician. That's I don't know right. anything when it comes to, yeah, that's the monk's uh -huh. business, right? So, um, and Janeway is still pushing him for more scientific data. Give me as much as, uh, as much science as possible, please. And he can't. So then we go to the sickbay where we find out that the biogenic field can be entered or can be passed through by the monks without any harm. So then that gives Janeway some hope. She's thinking, okay, there is something that can happen here. Mm -hmm. There has to be. And she has more hope when Neelix comes back with the story about King Nevid. King Nevid is, an, is uh, someone from Nakani history, ancient history, whose son, the prince, had the same thing happen to him that happened to Kess. And he went into that comatose-like state and the king basically um, requested to seek an audience with the spirits. And he went through a ritual to seek an audience with the spirits. And essentially he requested that his son be brought back to consciousness. Um, and because he went through that whole ritual and because he was the king and he, he acknowledged the fact that as a king and a father, he had responsibility for this prince, they did give him his son back or the mm -hmm. consciousness of his son back. Um, then we flash over to uh, Chakotay's office. We have Janeway and Chakotay. <clears throat> Chakotay suggests that the doctor should probably monitor the captain's physical condition and also have some way to call out for an emergency beam out. These are the precautions that Chakotay is taking or trying to take with Janeway to make sure that she's safe, as safe as possible, mm -hmm. um, because she's decided that she is going to uh, embark upon this same type of ritual, if at all possible. Um, and that is when the Nakani magistrate calls and says that uh, Janeway's request to go through this ritual has been granted. There is interest from the council, the religious council, uh, that she even wants to do this. And um, it's so funny because Janeway, she's like, well, you know, there's a scientific basis for most religious doctrine. Right? This is something that she says mm -hmm. to Chakotay. And she, this entire time, Robbie, she's, um, you directed her so that she's very smug about this whole, about this ritual. She was like, well, you know, I've already studied all these tribes. It's going to be some type of like thing where I, it's going to be physical and there's going to be endurance involved. And, and the way she talks about it, it's, it's like it's going to be a walk in the park. It's the way she's talking. <laughs> it's like, eh, no problem. I'm going to be able to take, it, uh, take this on and it's going to be easy. I do remember in that scene that... Uh... I think this was the audition scene that uh, the guide had, that Becky Baker had had. Mm -hmm. and now that I think about it, when we got to filming it, it was in a very tight space and there wasn't much room to move the camera. And I remember feeling like, oh no, my plan is going to be 
very hard now that I'm physically here, you know, this is a tight, it's a little corner where we're putting this, where, where she's working on this light and uh, it's hard, tricky to get the cameras in there. That's one thing I remember, but, but um, no, I just, I thought it was great working with Becky um, and Kate, just such great actors. I do remember that they wanted to, you know, kind of encourage her to be kind of fun and funny and not, not at all a spiritual kind of um, guide. Like they didn't want her to seem like a guide at all. They didn't want her to seem like she was trying to be deep or profound or so. Um, I remember that was, that was a lot of fun to direct and sort of push Becky and remind her of like, how can we do things that just aren't going to feel like, um, you know, some deep spiritual guide, but that's like, interesting. Sitcom you know, now whose note was that though? Whose note was that? I don't that, remember. Okay. I, I just remember it coming up in the prep. Like, let's oh, make sure okay. that this character is not at all, um, you know, deep or profound. Well, it's, it's great because uh, it was so different from everything that we're used to, to seeing or hearing on yeah. Voyager. And I, I made that note. I said, wow. Her delivery is more contemporary and less stylized than any other guest star or any series regular on this show, the way yeah. she was talking. And I was thinking when, when I first saw her Becky Baker speak, I thought, okay, this reminds me of, um, and I don't know if you've watched, I think you said you haven't watched Discovery, correct? You haven't watched Discovery. I've seen some of it, yeah. Oh, okay. So what Becky Baker reminded me of, a combination between comedian Tig Notaro's character, the chief engineer Jet Reno, and Mary Wiseman's character, Tilly, mixed yeah. with mixed with Liz, your actor friend that was your witness at your wedding. <laughs> Those three, uh, uh, what was Liz's characters on? Uh, Liv. Yeah, what's Liz's character? Liv. Liv's Liv. character on uh, Liv's character's name. Liv, no, her Elizabeth is her real name. Liv. Oh, I'm sorry. Liv her is character her character. is L-I-V. Yes. Okay, okay. So Deputy okay. Liv. Right. So if you mix the characters of Jet Reno, Mary Watt, uh, sorry, Jet Reno, Sylvia Tilly, and Liv from Resident Evil. Deputy Alien, Liv. You, yep. Yeah, Deputy Liv. You get uh, <laughs> Becky Baker's character on the guide. Uh, this, the guide. <laughs> exactly. That's what I, I felt. And I just thought, my gosh, she's really speaking so modern and not what yeah. I'm used to. So it's this is from a note we, you guys had. Yeah, it was the note. It's what we wanted to do with the character was to make it not spiritual or religious at all. And uh, I remember it was, it, it was fun to remind her of that and feel the freedom to sort of push her into a much more, you know, down to earth, contemporary, almost sitcom-y kind of wisecracking. Very sitcom, you yeah. Know? Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. fun. Becky Baker takes her to the next room where all these attendants show up and start taking Janeway's clothing off. Well, at least Janeway's in the beginning was like, what? You know, wait, 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 wait. And then Becky Baker says, you need to just trust this. This is the ritual. Go with it. And she then allows all the attendants to disrupt her. And I do not remember the scene at all of Janeway I, practically naked. I'm like, what? I actually pitched this scene. This was what? the one thing. I think in the original script, she uh, met the guide. And then you cut to her... Um, Wearing the robe? Just already wearing the robe. And I was like, oh, well, wait yeah. a minute. There's an opportunity yeah. if we're going to play this theme of like shedding technology and science and she's letting go of 
all of these mm -hmm. things and we're going to go on mm -hmm. this vision quest you have an opportunity to have her very vulnerable and mm -hmm. to see her like picard had an episode i think where he uh he was naked or something a prisoner or something and yeah i don't even remember that episode of tng but i do remember the image of picard being very vulnerable and naked and mm -hmm. not in his spacesuit and his captain's uniform and i just said let's make yeah. sure we have a moment like that to start this vision quest with uh Janeway where we we could go through like a cleansing you know a bathing kind of thing and she has to shed her uniform and I talked to Kate about it first because they said well that's a great idea but I don't know if Kate will do it you you know if you can talk her into it sure we'll put it in the script so I went right. to Kate and I was like I think this would be a great moment and she agreed she clearly, agreed yeah right yeah and again this is your wonderful relationship with her being your trailer neighbor your right. uh <laughs> your next door neighbor uh and you had that that ability to ask her that but I have a question for you did you find it a little bit it was interesting that she's playing so coy and, and she's covering up because I would think as a captain she'd be very secure in her body. You know what I'm saying? And that she, mm. and especially in front of, these aren't even male attendants, you know, these are female attendants. I was thinking that maybe as it was a little uncharacteristic of the captain to be a little like covering up. And I understand covering up for television. Like we can't show nudity. We can't show topless. We can't show breasts. I get that. But obviously she could have had her hands down and it could have been shocked from the back where you didn't see the breasts as well. Was there any discussion between you and Kate on that where she felt like, hey, yeah, there was. I mean, I, I think in my mind, I had a, I had an image when I was pitching it to her of more of what you're describing of this sort of, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to be. And I think when Kate got there, you know, she said, look, I feel like I would be, be very uncomfortable. And the captain would feel like, what are you doing? You're taking, you know, reluctant hmm. that she would yes. be reluctant to do this sort of primitive kind of behavior and take her clothes right. off in front of strangers. So I think that's right. kind of where we landed was sort of that in-between sort of okay. discomfort, I guess. Yeah. Then she's led to the the train car room and <laughs> the uh, waiting room. <laughs> the waiting room. Yes. <laughs> Janeway is just so impatient. And the theme in this scene is literally you've got three elderly wise people saying, wait wait and Janeway's like must go must go was the, <laughs> her right. objective must leave this room that's right and not realizing that this is the room that it, this is the ritual you need to stay in this room but she doesn't she knocks on the door the guide opens it we see Becky again and J Janeway makes reference to I'm not sure if I've done what I need to do in this room but I'm ready to move on and she's like okay well then you can move on <laughs> so she's she then begins to hold the stone She's holding the stone mm -hmm. and holding the stone. We flash back to sick bay. The doctor detects the strain of Janeway holding the stone for so long. Then we flash back to the sanctuary. She's drawing on a wall and she's climbing up a face of a cliff. Now, is this all in her mind, Robbie? Or is this actually things that she's doing? No, because she's there for three days, right? They okay, say, so she is they say that stuff. she's been there for three days doing these okay. different things, but she's right. also kind of, it, it, it's unclear what how much of this is I think reality and 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 sort of um, hallucinations start to become one in this room, mm -hmm. this room of rituals. I do remember that uh, I wanted to make use of the steady cam in this this chamber that I wanted okay. the camera to be moving a lot, that I wanted them to be walking around, that I wanted her to start to go on a bit of an acid trip. 
and sort gotcha. of be like, wait, what's 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 right, what's left, what's up, what's down? Yeah, the snake bit and the painting and the yeah, all of it. Um, kind of like your version of the thaw of uh, Marvin's episode in a way. Yeah, sort of weird, uh -huh. surreal, like you know, uh, environment, right? Yeah, and it's and it's funny because. Um, I remember struggling in this set a bit and the scenes we, we pulled the steady cam out. We did a number of shots with the steady cam, but because of the way the set was designed and how Marvin had to light, we couldn't really do a 360 and turn all the way around. And uh, that was a great lesson in sort of maybe involving the DP into the planning ahead of time, because once we got there and I was like, okay, Marv, here's what I'm thinking in the steady cam, even though I had the tools, I, ha I didn't have all the information. So it was sort of a compromised version of what I in initially really wanted to, to do in that room. But I, so I was you... happy with how it turned out, but right. it definitely didn't have the kind of sweep and the, the, the constant circling that I was looking for. We couldn't, couldn't do that type of, uh, those type of moves in there because of where the lights had to sit because of the way the set and the ceiling and all was designed, so. Okay. Okay, but if you had talked to Marvin earlier, you think maybe a solution could have come we up? We might have been uh, able to come up with a solution of hanging some lights ahead of time, rigging those gotcha. lights earlier, things like that, right. which I just okay. didn't have enough experience to know, you know. But I was happy with how it turned out. It's still, we still got a lot of movement in that room and still got a lot of different looks. When Janeway's climbing up the cliff, that's just stage 16? Yeah. With the, was, or green, some green screen action going on there? Yeah. 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 From there, we move to sickbay. Uh, the doctor actually displays empathy for Neelix. He feels bad. He touches his shoulder. Did you direct, did you direct Bob to touch John Ethan's shoulder? I don't know Ethan's if shoulder? I did. I don't know if I did or if that was Bob. I don't remember. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, the script clearly probably did say that he's showing some type of empathy, obviously, right, for Neil yeah. Um And that's that may have been Bob's decision to touch him, maybe yours, we don't know. Now we go back to the sanctuary, the inner sanctum. We learn of this creature. Oh, God, I wish we could have seen what this thing looked like. <laughs> the Nesset. The Nesset. Nesset? Nesset. Nesset. Okay. I think so. The Nesset can travel from this world to the spirit realm. Um, the spirit realm... The Nesset serve as the gatekeepers to the spirit realm. And now the guide encourages Janeway to stick her hand in the container that is containing the very vicious sounding Nesset. Janeway sticks her arm in and she gets something for a minute. In. Sorry, I get, yes. I get stuck on your question. The doctor stands by the bedside a moment looking down at his patient. Then he reaches out and touches Neelix on the shoulder. On the shoulder. Okay, it was written in. All right. Yeah. So Lisa, Lisa, Lisa directed that one. Lisa did. <laughs> Lisa put it in there. Yeah. Lisa Clank. Okay. Uh, which is rare though, because let's face it, the doctor has always been quite ornery and doesn't really care that much about anybody. Yeah. Right. And so now we see another side of the doctor. Mm -hmm. um, so now uh, she gets bitten by the Nesset and, and this is, I, it was so difficult to watch Janeway struggle from that bite because up until this point, you really haven't seen that type of, uh, um, you haven't seen Janeway go, th go through that kind of a mm -hmm. painful, you know, experience, except maybe when the caretaker has the, the needle in her, in her cavity chest from, you know, the first episode. But other than that, to see Janeway just talking about her chest constricting, being tight, and then just literally just passing out. Um, 
was tough to watch. We're not used yeah. to seeing the captain uh, put in, in in these dire circumstances. Yeah. Right. But I guess you know it it must be. Uh, it must be dire because it's the ritual that she has. She must go through. So now we jump back to sick bay, and we have Chakotay debating with the doctor. Um, Tuvok is the one who finally convinces Chakotay to let Janeway complete the ritual. But up until that point, um, the doctor and Chakotay are just kind of going back and forth. Chakotay mm-hmm. is very concerned about the welfare of Janeway, but Tuvok says, "Look, I know Janeway well." she would want to complete the ritual. So let her stay stay in this state that she's in. Did you notice, by the way, that uh, Chakotay is like, I am not leaving this monitor until yes. she <laughs> returns. It's like, dude, let it go. Like, you're not- yeah. <laughs> I am not leaving this monitor. <laughs> I am not. I will not eat. I will fast <laughs> to protest the uh, Janeway predicament. Um, so now Janeway's at the ocean. And is that just a stock shot of the ocean? Like what? Yeah, ocean I think it that? was. We, I, I don't think we had anything to look at. It was a green screen. I think we shot okay. over her shoulder to a green screen or something. Okay, got you. Yeah. Um, she makes her request to save Kess. And this is when she is told by the guide that she already has everything that she needs to save Kess within her um we go back to the sanctuary inner sanctum and the guide gives Janeway's clothing back she goes back to the ship the doctor formulates a treatment for Cass based on the toxin that he's very confident yes the doctor's Mm. very confident in his science oh my come up with a hypothesis and run some tests and and then it doesn't work (laughs) it doesn't work almost kills her he's not yes it almost kills her it's it's quite scary um, we end up back in the sanctuary entrance where Janeway is now talking to the guide. And well, he and says at the end saying, of the scene, at the end of the mm. scene, the doctor says, you know, Captain, I'm sorry, but you know, everything you, my, you know, my tests are wrong and everything you went through is meaningless. And she goes, Wait. Oh, that was the key. Yes. Somebody sorry. else yes. says that. I'll be right back. Yeah. Cause that's what the guide had said. Exactly. That's what the, uh, yeah, the guide had said uh, it's all meaningless, and that could have been the that could have been the title of this episode too. Meaningless could have been the title. It's in my um, haiku. I've got it is. It, it's in my limerick. We've got meaningless twice there. It's a very important word. So she goes back to the guide, who then informs her everything that you went through was meaningless, just like you just told me. So there is that that interaction. Now we go back to the train car scene and uh, the train car set, and there's a discussion of science and faith. And I just love the lines from um, not the ornery old man, but the nicer one, the good cop. Um, yes. He says, most of the challenges in life are the ones we create for ourselves. Mm. Very wise. Then he also says, if you can explain everything, what's left to believe in? Yeah. I remember that line. And then uh, another wonderful line. If you believe you're ready, then you are. There's no more to it than that. I mean, super wise words. Loved all those lines. And then ornery, ornery, ornery elderly sage. That's almost like a tongue twister. Ornery you're making it harder elderly sage. I am. Uh, the ornery sage says, but if you go in with any doubt, with any hesitation, then you're both dead. Dun, dun, dun. And I love the whole, you know, when Janeway's like saying, so what do I do? What do I do? Well, you're not going to want to hear it. You got to kill her. 
you've got you know she has to basically yeah kill her through again. that thing yeah you got to kill her again you got <laughs> you got to take her through the field one more time um Janeway then calls Chakotay to bring Kess down to the sanctuary and they beam down Neelix Chakotay Kess plus a bed which looks nothing like the bio bed that she was laying on no I don't what, know where what, that what, bed came. what the <laughs> heck where's that bed come from Robbie I don't know I've Explain never seen that. it before or after <laughs> And have we ever, excuse me, have we ever beamed furniture down? I don't think we've ever, it's always people, right? I mean, it's, this is the first time on yeah. Voyager that a piece of furniture was beamed down yeah. <laughs> and, a, and a bed that no one's ever seen before in their life. And then, of course, this is when uh, Chicote really tries to convince Janeway that she needs to rethink of her plan to mm -hmm. walk into the biogenic field with Kess and even Neelix is sitting there pleading saying, look, um, I understand what Kess is going through, but I don't want you to die also, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and of course she walks through and, and everything's okay. And I do find, Robbie, yeah. of everything in this episode, the only thing that kind of made me go, hmm, was <laughs> yeah. the reaction to Kess well, being I was revived. just looking, I was He's trying like, to look in my script because yeah. It says, the golden burst of light flashes from the walls. Jane Wake feels it. We hold tight on her. She looks down at Cass and herself, and she sees Cass's eyes open off Janeway. It doesn't say in the script that Neelix reacts or Chakotay. So I think what happened was I probably shot it thinking, okay, Neelix and Chakotay just need to look, and then we go to Janeway tight close up seeing Kess and that's mm -hmm. it now I'm I'm a little wiser to know hey we should get the reactions make sure that you know even though in the script it doesn't say Neelix is relieved or Neelix you know there's no reference right. to him reacting because it's really the way the script reads is we don't yeah. even go back to Neelix and right so that's probably why I shot it that way but they decided to use their close-ups and then they don't we didn't have a reaction but they used it anyway Okay. Well, that and makes she sense. was very far away from them. Like, yeah, Janeway was, yeah. you know, 30, 40 feet up on the stairs, right? Looking down at Kess, they couldn't have seen Kess's eyes open there. They wouldn't have been able to see it. Yeah. So, so in reality, were... Rob, yeah, they, sh in reality, it should have been the reaction, literally just Janeway, really, just Janeway's reaction, which it is how it's scripted. They shouldn't have cut, yeah, it, they yeah, shouldn't have I, cut to, I think to, that uh, Johnny. It, editorially i think that was a choice they made to to use those reactions that there really and it was a wrong choice i'm yeah. gonna say right now it was the wrong choice because it makes like it looks like neelix is very uncaring of his love yeah you know to yeah. me so um yeah. all right well good to know that that's cleared up um thank you for explaining that because mm -hmm. I, I i thought why would robbie not know that i mean he would know this but unless kes stood up and looked back at them and then but they she doesn't. Speak. She's no. She's still Jacote or Neelix wouldn't even wouldn't have been even able to see her eyes open. No, you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Because she doesn't make a move. If you look at that cut, it's just Kess lying there, opening her eyes up, and she doesn't go like. <gasps> she doesn't move at all. She no. just opens her eyes and looks at Janeway. Period. Yeah. End of you know. End of uh, her her coverage. So yeah. uh, at the very end, so the last scene is the doctor seems to have a scientific explanation for what happened mm. and and it's not magic it's not 
spiritual anything. It's a, it's mm-hmm. he's got a he's got another explanation, even though he had an explanation before and it didn't work. Right. This time, he's got an explanation he thinks is right. Correct. And she says that's a perfectly sound explanation, Doctor. Very scientific. Mm-hmm. And it says in the script here, it says she holds a look with him for a moment. Is that the only explanation? So she's waiting for maybe more Mm -hmm. or maybe thinking that there's more to this, but she doesn't say it. And then it says she moves out of the office, leaving the doctor and Cass a bit nonplussed. On Janeway, as she heads out of sickbay, unsettled, still not quite sure how to make sense of this experience, fade out the end. So I think we got that. I think we got that moment as, as scripted, you know. That you she, did get the, you did get the moment. Yeah. You definitely got the moment. She's very um she's very pensive. She's a million miles away and she's mm-hmm. literally questioning like everything that she knows. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. she's always been about science. Yeah. And at the end she's just sitting there going, "Hmm. It's not always about science. It's not yeah. always about science." Yeah. It's also about things that I can't explain to you uh, yeah. in a concrete fashion. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed a couple times in my notes, I made reference to the X-Files, which was still very popular back in the 90s. It was kind of mm-hmm. winding down a bit, but that show had been a game changer in the sci-fi world and you know, kind of television landscape. And yes. the thing about X-Files that was so interesting is they would never end the episode with a clear answer whether that paranormal situation was had a had a scientific explanation or a paranormal explanation. On the mm-hmm. X-Files, it kind of ended with they both could be true, this scientific yeah. explanation or this crazy paranormal explanation. Yeah. True too. And I wrote down X-Files in my script a number of times, going, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we end this episode with the same kind of um, possibilities that X-Files sort of ends with. It felt very X-Files-y to me, this episode. You X-Filed it. You definitely X-Filed nice. the ending. For nice, sure. baby. Yes. All right. Yeah. So what's your theme, buddy? We didn't talk about our life lesson. What theme is my theme? We put our faith in the things that we choose to put our faith in. Okay. Meaning, I can put my faith in science if I choose that. Or I can put my faith in, in other things um, that, that like in this story, Janeway's experience just fulfilled her expectations. And in the yeah. end, it didn't mean anything. Um, you know, all the snake bite and the cliff and the rock and all those things were just like cliches of what a spiritual vision quest should be. And that was really Janeway created it. The lessons for me come from the uh, from the old sages, really, in this episode, and that, and those lines that I, I read out earlier. I mean, <laughs> most of the challenges in life are the ones we recreate for ourselves. Most of the challenges in life are the ones we create for ourselves. I mean, that's that's a big mm-hmm. lesson right there. Mm-hmm. I think I think so many people, when things happen, <laughs> are always saying, "Oh, that person did this to me. That person is the reason why this happened to me." There's a lot of blaming going on. <laughs> There's yeah. not a lot of like accountability and realizing. Wait a minute, uh-huh. things are really tough. Is it? Let's look at myself and what, uh, why I'm in this situation. You yeah. know, it's not always someone outside of you that's causing this, or or a situation outside of of yourself that's causing yeah. it. It's really it starts with you, right? Yeah. Um, and also just, you know, the whole concept of belief, um, 
just believing and having faith in something and having faith to the, to the point of there is no doubt you can't, cause if you have doubt or hesitation and mm. this can be in, this can be in anything really, whether you're playing sports or whether you're doing you know, choosing to buy an investment property or something, this is, these are life decisions that literally you have to have the belief and trust that you are doing something that um, is going to benefit you. Right. Mm. And so uh, if you have that belief that 100% faith that you are making the right move and no hesitation, that's usually when you succeed, I find, you know, yeah. or you, you make yeah. the right move. Thank you for listening to this recap for our patrons. Stay tuned. We've got Lisa Klink who wrote this episode is going to join us uh, for some of our bonus material for our patrons. It was great to revisit my directing debut and such a great episode written by Lisa Klink beautifully acted by Kate Mulgrew and our guest stars were phenomenal. Um, it was really fun. It was really fun to revisit this one. So thanks. Uh, stay tuned, everybody. Uh, next week, Robbie and I will be reviewing Future's End Part 1. Dun, dun, dun. See you next week, guys. Thanks. <laughs>